Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to the Rock God of Podcasting. That's me. Charles McFall. I am the Rock God of Podcasting. And if I don't say it enough, you don't know my brand. So I just want to make sure you know who I am and what my words are out there. Before we get started today, I want to say I had a recent episode where Mike challenged me to stay on task and be happy. And that was a really, really great show. And in that show, I talk about one of the little things that the little things in life that makes me happy is getting random items. And I've been getting some random items to my house and I love it. And the first shout out I'm going to give is directly to Mike Woodard, my esteemed producer. He got me this beautiful Dewar's White Label Scotch Whiskey hip flask that I love. And I'm just going to say the power of words are amazing because I've known Mike forever. It's not like uh, he feels pressured or anything like that. He just said, hey, that was something cool. And I'll let him speak about it if he wants. And then other things have been showing up. I want to say thank you to everybody. And for your life. Be happy. Put what you love out there, and it'll come to you. Now, on with the show. Mike, I turn it over to you, sir. Uh, okay. Let's talk about SpeakPipe. Uh, this is something we've set up for the show. You've, you've been using Speak, SpeakPipe across all the uh, giant size team-up stuff, which is your, uh, your, your podcasting network. Uh, yes. And uh, we've set one up for specifically uh, this particular show. That is correct. Over at rockgodofpodcasting.com, you can see a nice blood red tab over on the side. And I, I don't know, it's a darker red than I've been doing. It's not necessarily blood red, but yes, it is there and you can use it. We got a set of questions from a guy named Doug Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I call him my brother. He's yeah. uh, I've known him the longest out of most everybody in my life. Well, what we've done is chosen two of uh, Doug's questions, and we'll save the other ones for later. So we're going to answer Doug's questions on uh, this week's show. So with the first one here... Do you smell that? Smells like toast. Now, <laughs> exactly the question. <laughs> well, it kind of is. Do you smell that? Is the question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, I guess I'll just jump right in. So, there's a little bit of a long story with all of this. Uh, all right, all right, all right. So, back in the day, and I'm talking about. When I was from age 13 to 16, I lived in a place called Tifton, Georgia, as a little, little tiny town. And it, it, I was out in the countryside and didn't have a whole lot to do with, with TV. I remember I had a TV. I got like three channels and we had a rotary phone. We had an antenna outside and it was nice having an antenna because otherwise we weren't getting channels and, and I had Nintendo, but one of the things I had was a boombox. Of course, I grew up through the 80s and 90s. And you're talking about early 90s. I had a, a nice big stereo system or, or boombox or something in my room. And and I would tune in this really, really low channel. I, could, I don't remember where I picked it up, but I listened to Dr. Demento, which is a, a comedy music show that was on back then. And I have no idea what station broadcasted. I had to... 
you know, hold my my elbow just right and my hand just right to get the antennas to do just right to pick up the station. But I used to listen to it all the time. And the song that came on will be referenced later. So that's part of that story. When I was 16, I moved to Athens, Georgia. And that's actually where my parents still are to this day. And I live more towards Atlanta. But uh, we, we moved to Athens and we moved in October of, of that year. I just turned 16. And in the spring, they had an air show. And for those of you who don't know, an air show is put on at an airport of relatively decent size, I guess. I'm not sure how big you have to be or, or what the restrictions are to do that kind of thing. And But airplanes come out. They bring all kind of fancy airplanes, World War II airplanes, kit planes, all kind of stuff. And they usually have uh, some stunt people out there doing some fun stuff, showing off what airplanes can do. You get to walk around. You get to sit in some of them. Uh, you get to see the, the military ones and those kind of things. It's a lot of fun. And when we're out there, there was a group out there, all teenagers, all, you know, my age or whatever, uh, and, and fatigues, right? Dressed like the military. And I kept noticing them. And my dad was in the Navy. His dad was in the Navy. My uncle was in the Army. They got another uncle who was in the Navy. So I was very, at this point in time in life, I was going to be military. I mean, that's kind of, I was never really pushed that way. It's just something I kind of latched on to because of, of different things that happened in my life. I had a, a sense of wanting to get revenge. I thought it was justice. I wanted to bring justice to the world and protect the innocent. But really, I just wanted to hurt people. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. I was drawn to these the fact that these kids were in fatigues. And, and we asked one about them. And they walked us over to a tent. And it was called Civil Air Patrol. And it turns out I could go and see what this group is all about. They're about to start one in Athens. And uh, we did search. You would do search and rescue if there was an airplane crash. Uh, you did stuff like the air show. You got to work the air show, those kind of things. And it was it was lighter and f- more flexible than, say, ROTC. It wasn't like he had, he had to do a bunch of calisthenics and rigors and get ready for the military. It was very much Air Force-based, which from everything I understand, Air Force is very laid back. So getting to my, my point is I decided to go to the meeting. My dad and I went to the meeting the first time to see what it was like. And at this meeting, I, I saw this guy come in with his, what I thought was his grandfather at the time. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and instantly, this is going back to the Dr. Demento reference, instantly I hear this song, Pencil Neck Geek. And <laughs> Dr. Demento, there was this song that he always played that was this Western thing about... Uh, guys who wear pocket protectors and and this and that and the other and and the chorus of course was pencil neck geek and it was making fun of science and dude Douglas had that all over him he was a pencil neck geek without without a doubt and I just kind of mocked him in my head and, and moved on well you know long story semi less long we ended up both joining Civil Air Patrol. We both became friends very quickly. Actually, I think I referred to the story of taking him home one day, which was 17 miles outside of the city. It was about a 30-minute ride in the country, and nobody would help him out, and I said I would, and that's where I met his brother James. And, and yeah, I told that story. So, so if you listen to previous episodes or other episodes, and none of them are dated. Everything's evergreen here. So you can listen to them out of order. If you hear the episode where I talk about James – and the computer and changing my life, 
That's Douglas. That's his brother. His older brother had uh, muscular dystrophy. So because of Civil Air Patrol and what we were doing, I offered to give him a ride home. We became best friends after that and we became good friends, whatever. And I told him, I mean, I flat out told him to his face, you know, depends on that geek thing. And he thought it was funny. Uh, so Civil Air Patrol, we'd been doing it for a while. I was, I was between 16 and 18 uh, because at 18, I was in college. So somewhere probably around this close to 17 years old range, Civil Air Patrol decides they're going to do this big field trip. And is for the state of Georgia. So all these different groups, they're kind of like Boy Scout groups, right? All these different groups of people uh, signed up to go to, well, I think it's Warner Robins Air Force Base is where we're flying out of. And you got, we were flying to Ohio to the Aviation Museum, whatever that was called. In Dayton, I think it is. I don't remember. And it was all military base. We're going from one military base to another and we're going to be driven to uh, you know, whatever. And so there's another guy who every time he laughed, he got this huge cough, you know, like a, a, a smoker's cough. And he was, as far as I know, he wasn't a smoker. Uh, I never saw him do it. Never. I think it was just his thing. He just, when he laughed so hard, he did this. this <laughs> and so we call him Weezer. Uh, and it didn't help that the band Weezer had just come out in the nineties and, and we were all listening to that. So we, we had adult supervision, right? And we had a, a responsible adult and some irresponsible adults. And we, the three of us had signed up to go to this Dayton, Ohio trip. And we had to be there. At, we had to be at the base at seven in the morning. And we decided it'd be a good idea. Everybody just crashed it because I'm driving. Everybody just crashed at my house. It's just me and Douglas and Weezer. And we just crashed at my house. And we're going to get up in the morning and, and go. Well, we went out that night and got pizzas and I don't know what else. I forget. And we're doing this really dumb thing. Weezer drove this big, like, coupe de ville. I mean, whatever the car was, it had a huge trunk. So he opened the trunk, big metal trunk, you know, not like a hatchback. And we were sitting inside the trunk listening to the new album by Live, which was The Beauty of Grey. They had just dropped off. It's not called that. It had Beauty of Grey on it. But I can't remember what that was. But we're listening to that. And and we're doing some crazy shit. And then we go back to my house. And it's just hyped up. And we're, we're just doing, we're watching movies and doing stupid shit. And finally, at like 3 in the morning, when we can't go to sleep, three or four in the morning, it's like, hey, let's just drive up there. Let's just go on up there. We'll get some breakfast at a Waffle House, and we'll be ready. And that's what we did. So we've been up all night. And and we drove. And, and Okay, so we're, we're on this country road going to Atlanta, and it's one of those flat roads that you can see the red light like a mile away. And we're driving, and like Douglas, <laughs> being the only responsible one, goes, oh, that's a red light. I'm like, it'll change. If we just jump to it, it goes, it'll change. And we're driving, and it goes, it'll change. And we get on it, it goes, it'll change. It'll change. It'll change. Boom. Went right through, and it goes, well, oh, it didn't change. And we thought that was the funniest shit in the world. It was just stupid. Uh, and we just kept going. So we get, we had our breakfast. We get to the air base. And it turns out none of our adults are coming. And I think we knew that. I think our adults weren't as responsible as they thought they were uh, because they just sent us on. But the three boys, ages roughly 16, Douglas is about a, uh, not quite a year younger than me. 
I can't remember if it's a year and a half or under a year uh, that he is. But anyway, and then Weezer is about the same age. So we're all in the 16-year-old range. And we get there, and we saw, we said, yeah, we're here from this, this whatever our group name was, and this and that and the other. And like, uh, where's your commanding officer or whatever? And I'm like, well, I guess that's me. I'm a commanding officer. They're like, uh, we need somebody who's over 18. I'm like, well, you're shit out of luck. I don't know what to tell you. And I mean, <laughs> I just, you, dude. I was a rock god back then, but I had zero filter and zero care and a lot of damage. So I was turned up to 11, without a doubt. And I mean, I would just, and of course, I, everything I do is to make people laugh because it made me feel good and important. And so I'm, I'm being this asshole, right? So they assigned us, all right, well, you can go, but you have to be assigned to this other group. And they asked this other group, will you kind of be responsible for these guys? And lo, they did not know what they were getting into with that agreement. And the, and the commanding officer, who I don't even remember there, said, yeah. And he had a really uptight teenager who was like his, his sheep herder. And she was really uptight. And, uh, I mean, she's definitely one of those people who gets, defines themselves by how good of a job they do in that military organization and had aspirations and, and stuff for her life. So she, she gets assigned to watch us, and she's our age, right? And you know, they're giving us this lecture about the C-130 and how loud it is and this and that and the other, and nobody can ever sleep on this plane, and, and they're just going on and on and on. And we're like, okay, whatever. Well, we get on the plane as we're supposed to. And we're, we're behaving at this point because we're exhausted now, right? We've been up all day the day before. It's a Friday. So they had school and, and other stuff. And and I was homeschooled, so I don't remember what I was doing, if I was working or whatever. And then we were up all night messing around. So come, you know, 730, 8 o'clock, whenever we're getting on the plane in the morning, we're all exhausted. So the plane <laughs> starts to take off, and it's like a lullaby for us. It's like, ooh. Except this, everyone's like, oh my God, it's so loud. We pass out. We slept the whole way. And somebody actually, an adult went, woke us up, like, are you guys okay? I'm like, I literally went, fuck off. I'm sleeping. And went back to sleep. <laughs> like, just because you idiots. And, and, and let's, let's put a little point in here. This is something I realized in life uh, from that moment, too, is adults, especially. They get this this stupid mindset that this can't happen because they are so bothered by something like, oh my god, it's so loud, I can't even think. I guess, blah, blah, blah. And they they just they think that's the way it has to be, and that's such a small world mentality. And and our mentality was, and they followed me, and my mentality was, I do whatever the fuck I want, whenever I want. And I mean, I was I was, I was a bit of an asshole back then, but that's that's still my life is. You could say, you know, why we're sleeping. Well, that's not factually true. People can absolutely sleep in any conditions. If you're a deaf person, all you do is feel the rumblings. And then it's like, it's like you know, um, magic fingers on a bed or something. It just relaxes you. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just stupid to have such a, a closed-minded mindset. And this person did, and they woke me up, and I told them, fuck off. You know, I'm a 16-year-old telling some 40-year-old to fuck off and leave me alone. And I wasn't like, and I mean, I wasn't a bad kid. You know, I wasn't that person that had that air of, oh, he's going to be trouble. You know, I actually had the air of, oh, he's such a good kid. And then I'd say stuff like that just to mess with people. Anyway, we get there and we wake up and we're all excited. And, and we go, and the first thing we do is ditch the people we're supposed to be with because they're not smart. 
They're not smart at all. They're stupid because they all expect without communication, without actually knowing who the hell we were, because lo and behold, they did not know they had the demigod of rock, God, rock podcasting then uh, on their hands and his crew. Um, they don't get behind us because that would be smart, right? They're like, oh, we're, you know, we know we're always with each other. We know how to fall into formation and we're just going to stick together because we're good kids. And honestly, that's just not me ever, period. Uh, you've got to challenge me and you've got to really break through my, my walls and, and other things to make me really care about that stuff. Um, and give me a reason to. And, and so we just kind of slowly but surely made our way to the back of the line. And then at some point, we went, all right, now, and we cut off to the right. And they kept going straight. And we just ditched the shit out of them. And we're walking along, and we're we're doing this. And and not to mention this girl who was assigned to watch us, who now we just made look like shit because she has no idea where we are in this, this museum. Uh, she was one of these one-uppers, Right. Every time she'd ask a question or sometime a story would come up, she'd be like, well, I do this, 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 and this. And, well, I do this, this, and this, and that. And, well, you know, it's like, oh, my God. Seriously. And, and we're, we're actually being nice to her for whatever reason. Maybe because she's a chick and we like girls and we wanted to, to maybe, I don't know, flirt with her or something. Because none of us were the hookup guys. None of us were the guys who tried to hit on girls or – or try to sleep with them or anything like that. We were a bit, obviously, being in the Civil Air Patrol, we are a bit nerdy and geeky anyway. And I told you about Douglas, his pencil neck geek, you know. Um, so we, uh, Brian, I was just thinking what Weezer's real name is, Brian something. I cannot remember his his last name. We always just called him Weezer, and he's such a cool guy. And, and, and fast forward to the last time I ever saw him, the last time I ever saw him, he came back in town, and, and we all got together. And this was shit. Uh, yeah. Two decades ago, I think uh, he was he had been accepted into uh, I can't remember if it was SEAL school or the whatever the underwater demolition that might be the same thing. He'd been accepted into a specialty special forces. He had joined the military, had been doing well there, and he got into the underwater demolition class or whatever. And he's like, "Yep, you might not ever see me again for one reason or another." You know, being the secret or being that he might get blown up. Um, but I was like, that's awesome, man. So he, he, he was a really cool guy. Anyway, so this girl was always saying, I do this and I do that and this and that. And so we ditch him because she is just getting on our last damn nerve. And everybody else is just such white bread, geeky, boring people. And that's not a reference to their skin color because it was definitely a mix of sexes and a mix of skin colors and, and those kind of things. They were just boring and we didn't want to be born. So we, we went outside because there's two sections of the museum. There's inside and outside. We went outside and walk, was walking through the huge field of airplanes that they have. And at some point we see her coming like, oh, shit, here she comes. And I, she came up all mad. And I, I remember I just said some smart ass thing and this and that and the other. And so she finally had to she had to start hanging out with us because we proved we weren't just going to fall in line. And so she's walking around. She's doing that. Oh, did it. And she said something about some kind of flying. Right. And it was some low level thing that should have been impressive to us because most people don't have it. It's, I mean, it's some kind of low level, no nothing certification, but it was more than most people had. And at that point, Douglas, and let me, let me burp, put a pin right there. So let's backstory this a little bit. When I call Douglas pencil that geek, I am not lying. I mean, he is. I've accused him. Now, keep in mind, he's still my friend. He's still my best friend in the world. He, he's my best man at my wedding. 
uh, he, he's my brother. I've introduced him just without having to explain the whole long story of how our friendship became. I, I've randomly introduced him as my brother. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's my brother, Douglas. You know, this and that. Oh, okay. I didn't know you had a brother. I'm like, he's, and he always has some smart ass remark, but he was very, see, I was sheltered. So I was breaking that shelter. He was actually raised fairly healthily. And his dad's a mechanical physicist. That's something I never even knew existed. He's a mechanical physicist. And his mom, very smart too. I mean, she chose to drive school buses. And, and you, you know, some people look down on that. Oh, the bus driver. No, no, no. I mean, bus drivers are smart. They have lives. They can do really good things. She chose to help her community, especially since her son was in a wheelchair. She actually was very good at handling that. So she chose to drive the, the short bus if, as it were uh, to help out all the handicapped kids in the community, get to school. And she was really good with them. And so he was raised to not question his worth and not worry about it. So he, but he was very quiet, very geeky. He never challenges people. He's a great balance to me because I'm like, what you talking about Willis? You know, yeah, and, and prove it. And blah. Yeah. And he was always like, yeah, whatever. I know what I know. And, and you'll either get there or you won't. And I've, I've, and this, what I started to say before when I explained that he's been my brother and this and that and the other is I've to his face said, you put the pathetic and apathetic, man, you killing me smalls. Yeah. Sometimes you have to challenge people. And that's, that's a conversation for another day, but he was definitely the guy who was the quiet, smart one in the group. We're like, man, I want to do this, 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 and this crazy thing. He goes, okay, well, here's how you do it safely. Here's how we can do it without getting arrested. Here's how we can do it without breaking something. And here's how we can do it without, you know, getting too much in trouble with our parents. Um, that's him. And I was the smart ass. Weezer was definitely, you know, the funny guy and would just quip off with, with one liners and stuff. And that was our dynamic. And so fast, come back to the pen in the story, this girl, who's supposed to be supervising us, who's our age, by the way. You know, I was like, yeah, you don't put somebody our age in charge of us. That's just stupid. Uh, <laughs> and and she's, she's being forced to follow me, essentially, because the guys are with me, and she's got to follow them. And so we're hanging, and she's doing this blah, 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 blah. I have this bullshit certification. And Douglas finally had enough. He had a fucking enough. And he said, he turns around and goes, <laughs> he just looks, oh, yeah? Tell me more about that. And she's like, oh. And she goes off on all these stupid-ass boring details. And he's setting her up, and I'm like, damn. He's cold-blooded ninja right here because I know what he's about to do to her. Because I know what I'm about to reveal to you. I'd known that about him since day one. So he's like just giving her rope. Just, oh, yeah, hang yourself, bitch. And without saying that, right? And she's going, duh, 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 and doing it still in a condescending way. Like, I'm better than you. Because, oh, well, that's nice. Because I have a full I have a full pilot's license. I can fly on my own. I'm instrument rated. I can do it. And, and we're like, damn. Because, of course, Friday had been out there to that point and, and the movie Friday. And because he just blew her out of the water. He had gotten a pilot's license, a full-flown, non, uh, there are no restrictions, full-blown, I can get in a goddamn plane and fly it, bitches, pilot's license, before he got a driver's license. Like, at 14, he started flying lessons. And... And uh, uh, I don't know what the exact age limits were back then. This is you're talking about mid 
early 90s, actually. Uh, I don't know what the restrictions were exactly, but the second he met the minimum restrictions to get a license, he got a pilot's license, and he could fly on his own, uh, like the other states and shit. Um, he, 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 that was, he was very impressive that way. I actually had to, t- I taught him to drive. I fucking taught him to drive, which kind of, uh, explains why he drives shittily sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, I, I did, uh, cause I'm like, dude, you're, and then, uh, I met him when he was 15. I was 16. So yeah, I think he's like eight months, nine months younger than me. Um, and so when he turned six, uh, uh, he was almost 17. I was like, dude. You have to fucking get a driver's license. I can't drive you everywhere. It looks stupid. So you need to, you know, you need to get a driver's license, man. And I taught him to drive. I took him to get his driver's license. Uh, and his mom just thought it was cool. I mean, they were like, yeah, we will teach you. And I think they probably helped. They probably they probably corrected some of the wrong shit I was teaching him. And and But, you know, they were very, man, they were very opposite of my parents. I mean, my parents were were... Very hands-on, very scared of things, very controlling. I was very controlling. He was he was very laid back as was his parents. So anyway, so he breaks her down like a fucking shotgun. And just like, I did this, this, and this. What do you got now? And it's just, and we're all sitting there. It's just dead silent. And Weezer goes, you smell that? And we're like, what? And we're, we start sniffing. We're like, what? He goes, I smell toast. <laughs> and he focused it at her. And we're like, oh, shit, sick bird. And, oh, that was it. Oh, my God, that was in that. She walked away. She wouldn't have anything to do with us after that. And ultimately, we ended up under some stairs in the museum because we'd seen everything we want to see. We're like, ah, hey, what do you guys want to do? Uh, I'm like, I don't know. We're all tired. We need to find a place to sit. Well, it's a fucking museum. There are no chairs or anything to sit in. Uh, so we we literally, I mean, you can see us. It wasn't like we were hiding. Uh, but th- in order to be left alone, we crawled under these stairs that were inside the museum and leaned against the wall, and we passed out. We went to sleep for another hour until the the Civil Air Patrol people had to come find us. And like, come on, man, it's time to get back on the plane. And so there, there's your trip, and that that's that's that story. I'm sure I could go on, but Mike's got something else uh, he wants to do here. But that <laughs> that man. I, I do forget about that every once in a while. And that just that and another story I'll tell real quick here brings up. Douglas and I used to go camping all the time, too. And we, we, especially when we, I started dating Aaron. And I think I was married to her when I was introducing him to his wife. And we all started going up. But every year we'd go out to his place. He's got his parents have 36 acres of land. Actually, I guess they have less now because he technically owns like 15 acres or something like that. But uh, anyway, he had, there's this land and a pond. It's a great place to go camping. And there's you know, a place for a fire and all that jazz. And we do that once or twice a year. And this is the kind of story that we'd always tell around the campfire. And he throws in details and, and this and that and the other. So much fun. But the other story that starts us off on, on telling shit, this is just, this is the iconic him and me together moment. And it's, it's. It, it is it'll probably lead us into the next thing I think Mike wants to ask, but uh, we're, I had a little Ford Ranger. Okay, since college I was three hundred and fifty pounds, six foot six, six foot seven. You know, it's a big guy, no matter how you cut it. And I was driving a little Ford Ranger because that's what I could afford. And we're driving along, and in, I, th- I don't even think I had cup holders. I don't remember. It was definitely an older Ford Ranger. And uh, he 
he had this Taco Bell cup because that's that was our favorite place to hit whenever we're going to grab some food. And he goes, here, do something with this, being all funny, like I was going to hold it. So I rolled down the window, just chunked it out the window. And it was full. It was full of drink. <laughs> and I just chunked it out the window. <laughs> <laughs> that and that just fucking random moment. He looks at me and we just laughed and laughed and laughed because like it was a TV moment. It's like what the hell's wrong with you? But at the same time, we love what was wrong with us. And it it, it just every once in a while he'll he'll look at me and with something and he goes here do something with this. And of course, now you can't throw stuff out the window because it, well, well, okay, it was littering, but that's not the point. But because it's not as funny, it was just so random. He was trying to be a dick, and I proved I was a bigger one. Uh, so that's that's that, Mike. That is the 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 story of I smell toast. Toast. Uh, okay. Well, like I mentioned before, Doug left a whole series of questions, and we're going to dig into them as time goes by. But. Um, this one, I don't know that he meant it as a serious question, but I want you to interpret it as uh, as something as a legitimate question. Okay, so I want to I want to out considered answer, um, considering the the kind of dickhead that you can be. <laughs> right, so now I got to come up with a serious question, which is kind of difficult when you think about it. You know, of all the stupid, crazy things that we've done, hmm. Well, maybe that's it. You know, how do you justify a friendship when you know whatever you ask me to do is going to start out with sarcasm, but usually ends up somewhere where you never even thought we could get to? All right. So <laughs> uh, that's that's a how do you justify a friendship whenever I ask you to do anything? You're going to start off with sarcasm and then we end up getting somewhere we never thought we'd be and that he meant that in a good way uh i think i think more than just a relationship with your spouse you can have destined relationships and you know, i love that man beyond everything else and and i would have no problems growing old with him uh, would never want to bang him so i'm not gay <laughs> you know i definitely would have banged women but there there's a a level of of relationship that that straight people have a problem with and because you can't well straight men i guess women the, the stereotype is women can be besties and they can do all this and that and it, it's fine but men you have to act a certain way and, and be a certain distance from each other for it to to or, or you're gay like that's a bad thing it's like well no and i'm not by i mean it's not like I want to marry him. It's not like I ever. I don't even want to kiss him. I don't want. I don't even want to touch that little bastard. <laughs> I just love hanging out with. Him. I mean, we just have this relationship, and it's it's. I hesitate to use the term "battle born" because there is a trueness to people who face battle together or face you know this, those really really drastic hardships. There's a connection there that's that you can't have any other way. Ours is similar to the damage I came out of and the different things that we've been through and the hardships we've faced together that we have, we've definitely hardened our friendship and our relationship. Um, but how, well, you know what? I never justified it. I just got what I wanted. And that was, <laughs> that, that was it. I mean, I've, I've, 
Man, I, I don't know if I've always lived by the secret, but I've always had that flow in the universe where I just don't think about, does this make sense? I mean, I told you when I first saw him, I heard the song in my head, Pencil Neck Geek, and I openly in my head made fun of him going, oh my God, oh my God, that's a Pencil Neck Geek. I just wasn't I, that big of a dick to do it out loud, you know? Until later, when I actually became his friend, and then I told him about it. Because, <laughs> I, I I mean, I will. I'll be honest about things, and sometimes that's a dick move. So let's just kind of go over the whole relationship a little bit. I I never thought about other people all that much. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because if I would thought about it, I wouldn't have pushed him into areas that he needed to go. You know, I wouldn't have. I never did until... I started working on myself. This is after I'm married, after I am, well, I'm close to 30. I started working on myself and dealing with my issues until I really got through a lot of that. I didn't start helping him and pushing him intentionally. So every push that I talk about was always an unintentional push of, oh, come on, man. It's going to be cool. Let's do this. Who cares if it's a cliff and, and there's sharks in the water? It's going to be fucking awesome. And then I would jump and he would just follow. Uh, so that, that was, that was it. It was, I, I never saw him truly as this geek. I never saw him truly as this outcast. I saw him as somebody who seemed interesting and I do that for a lot of people. I mean, that, that's, that's the comments I always got from bear crawling. That's the compliments I always got from, uh, uh, bear crawling being one of my early shows. And that's the comments I always got from places I worked is I never just judged somebody on the surface. I did judge people about how they treated me, you know, whether that was right or wrong. I'm just saying, uh, but never judged somebody on the surface. It was always, I don't know. It's always whatever I wanted. It was, Oh, I think you're cool. And let's just, Hey, you want to do this? And then they'd say yes or no. And most time people say yes, because especially I, 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 you know, I always felt like a loser and I had, I had reasons for that, but, I think I was I was attracted to people that I guess had qualities that I had. Like he was smart and I'm always smart. I've always been smart. I've hidden it a lot, but I've always been really smart and I can learn anything. That's something I'm going through with my son right now is telling him, you're not a guitar player. You're not a guitarist. You're a learner. You've learned two, maybe three songs on the guitar and you're, you can absolutely learn to be a guitarist. But right now, don't go around telling people, I play guitar, can I bring my guitar? When the reality is, you can play three, two songs, really. He's trying to learn a third one. But you can play two songs. You're a learner. I'm a learner. I can learn how to do just about anything in life and learn it fast and be very, very damn good at it, uh, typically. And there was just something about him that triggered that in me it made me feel good about myself you know in a world in a time especially that everything made me feel bad about myself that made me feel good about myself um he there was definitely a lot of pushback uh his mom gave me ugly looks a lot of times because it deservedly so and i told this part of the story a little bit is being around his brother james and james showing me what true love actually meant and actually and then Looking back as I got older, and I, I actually had this conversation with 
uh, his parents after I had my first kid and I brought him out there. So I, I kind of feel like this is partially, and I know you won't feel this way and I don't expect you to, to do anything about it, but partially I kind of feel like this is your grandkid because I spent a lot of time growing and changing in this house and you've always accepted me. And that was the thing, just being accepted. Cause I, I mean, I was, I was a huge cusser. I was a huge control freak. I hit him, you know, cause I thought it was funny. You know, you, you see that that crap on TV. I think it was the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, didn't he? Always hit Carlton or something, slap him on the back of the head, something like that. I did that, and I realize now how stupidly horrible, awful it was, and it wasn't funny. But that was part of our relationship, and I think he took it because it was part of the price for him to become a better person, and he wanted to do that. Uh, there was never a justification. It was just, it was. I just saw it, and it was. And at no point did he tell me, I don't want to do this, man. I don't like you anymore. Because uh, that's just not who he was. And I don't know if he ever thought that. Um, and I've done some, I mean, besides, the, the, you know, I talked about I hit him and whatever. I've done some uglier things, too. I, there was a summer. This, the first girlfriend I had, uh, it was, it was, over a summertime, and I met her, and I think I actually told this story too. Or maybe I told it to my kids, so I won't. I won't go into all the details right now. But one day, he and I were just doing our thing, hanging out. Uh, it's before. It's a year before I went off to college. So you're talking about ninety five, ninety summer ninety five, and uh, we went to rent some radar movies, and uh, all my parents' account they had a radar lockout, so I'm like, hey. Can I get my own account? And like, how old are you? And I, I was 17, I guess. But yeah, sure enough, you can. So I, I got my own account. And and uh, as a Sylvester Stallone, Sharon Stone flick, and I don't remember what else we got. And he and I were just going to go do what we did on a Saturday afternoon when we had no events going on. We just got two or three movies. We we're going to pick up a you know, pizza or two and just watch a marathon of movies in the afternoon. That's that that was our life and uh i got a wild hair and said hey let's go swing by this girl's house because he was crushing on her and she was on the way to his house i'm like let's go see if she's home and have her come hang out with us and you know i'll bring your wingman and all this he's okay i'm sure he had to like he said i'm sure he had something sarcastic to say about it and we we turns out this other girl was there i said two girls so we picked up two really hot girls and took him back to his place, and and we're watching movies. And and long story short, I ended up dating this girl named Sonia, and and there was an up and down through the summertime. And I don't know if I really learned much about myself other than how. I mean, that was the first time I realized how damaged I was. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had lots of issues, lots of issues. Um. And she brought those out and this and that and the other. And so, but the whole summertime, I ignored him. I never called him. I didn't have time for him. I, the only time I called him was when I was having trouble with her and he was there for me. Uh, but I, I, I just, I didn't know what was going on in his life. I didn't know shit. I just ignored him. And that was, that was obviously very wrong of me. And then at the end of that summer, when, she and I broke up horribly and it crushed me because that's, you know, what girls do is, or, or your loves. That's what loves do is, is they bring out, they show you your issues and then 
because of your issues, they they leave or whatever. And it, it was a thing. So I ended up, I grabbed, God, I think we, get, we got a six-pack of root beer. And when we did that, it was, it, I don't remember. Anyway, we went down to his pond, and we sat there, and we drank these sodas because it wasn't alcohol. And he gave me, you know, a couple hours of his time at night just to hear me out. And I had to apologize to him. I was like, dude. I'm sorry for ignoring you. You know, you're my true love, Blue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I've done stuff like that throughout our lives is I've come and gone. And he's always been a, a constant. Even when he was off at school, you know, we I was there for him because he had always been there for me. And he made time for me. And we'd, we'd Skype. And oh, ICU, was a, uh, <laughs> ICU was a chat system back in the day. And I'm very protective of him. Uh, there's other stories. But the sarcasm was just him. You know, it just developed into his sense of humor. He's very sarcastic. He can he can deliver lines with such a dry wit. And he can make you feel stupid. And he's honestly, in his faults, and this is a good thing I love about him, because you know, I love that he has faults, because then I'm not, I don't feel so bad about myself. Uh, but he's, he can be quite arrogant. I mean, he can be very arrogant sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and he, I mean, when he has knowledge and he knows what he knows, a lot of times he comes off very, yeah, you know, all right, well, I told you the answer and you'll figure it out. And you know, there were times I, I was heading towards a wall and I'd smack into it, not literally, of course, but metaphorically, smack into it. And I'm like, dude. What the hell? He goes, no, I saw that wall coming. I said, why didn't you say anything? He goes, oh, well, I figured you'd learn your lesson. I'm like, not after I hit the wall 10 times, asshole. And I'm asking you actively, what do you think about this? Should I do this? And and that pulled him out of that range a little bit of when we had that conversation, he would say, okay, if I'm going to ask you something, I actually want your opinion. You have become one of my guidestones. And if he ever says that's not a good idea, it's not a good idea. Because he will. He'll just give you sarcasm. He'll he'll not say anything about stuff. But if he says that's not a good idea, it's not a good idea. So I'm thinking, man. I'm just I got so many different stories and so many different things. And, and I've never really thought about the why how do you justify a friendship? The fact is I, I never did. It was it was <sighs> It's just always there. And I can't, I, I, I feel sorry for the world if people had this opportunity to have such a friend, such a person in your life that you have no weird feelings. Like, no, that's my brother over there, Douglas. I call him Spaz, too. And that's a whole story in itself. Uh, he had to approve of Aaron for sure. Uh, before we get married, she, she still tells that story of how I drug her out playing paintball. Uh, to Douglas's house, because uh, that's where we played paintball on the 36 acres of land. And I drug her out with a group of people to play paintball out there because he had to approve of me. And I told her that. It's like, you know what? If he doesn't like you, you're gone. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. By the time, by the time I got around to dating her, I realized how damaged I was. And I had two girls before her show me that. And I really wasn't interested in being shown that anymore. I wanted something to help me be better. Uh, I didn't have those exact words, but that was the general feeling. And I trusted him because he'd always been there for me. He'd been there for me in all the relationships. And when I abandoned him and came back, he was there. When I was ugly to him, he was there. 
through through the damage stuff and fixing the damage stuff, he was there. And when he talks about crazy stuff we've done, I told you the the Ohio story. That's just one. You know, we we've gone out of state many times without our parents knowing. Uh, I got him to drive uh, halfway across Florida to go to a wrestling match, which is something he had zero interest in because I didn't know geography. I'm like Tampa's like halfway between us. I was in Orlando. For those of you who are geographically smart, I was in Orlando at the time. He was in Daytona Beach, and Tampa, in my mind, was somewhere in between us, which is a good hour south or more of Orlando. Anyway, I talked him into driving over to Orlando, and he rode down with us, and blah, blah, blah. Us being me and my wife. You know, man, it just shows me this bigger thing I've always been a part of. People talk about, people talk about, the secret, right? And how your words work. And and there's people who are afraid of words. There are people who, oh my, you gotta be very careful what you say. And I, I've I've challenged that because in my my in, in who I am, that fear never felt right. Fear fear is not how God works. Fear is not how the universe works. Fear is not what a parent should desire. I want my kids and I try to use this anytime I teach them. I want them to go for what feels good because that's what you always do. If you fear something, that's a negative feeling. It feels bad. And ultimately, you'll just try to get away from it. I know I did. So when, when my kids are doing something, I can be loud. But I can be loud both ways. I can get angry and I can yell at you. And this isn't a carrot stick thing. I'm just talking about in general about me. I can get angry and yell at you and be nasty, ugly sometimes. But man, when you do something good, I am just as loud, hyping it up. Quick example, the other day, my daughter was fighting me on math. And I realized that, and I just kept pointing it out. I was like, you're making me mad. Stop fighting me. And I gave her, what do you want? She wants to. She's in fourth grade because of her birthday, but she's definitely smart enough to be in the fifth grade. And because of her test scores, she automatically got bumped up to fifth grade ELA, which is uh, language arts, you know, reading grammar all that stuff she was three points away from getting bumped up in math and i was like we can we can get you to fifth grade this year so that you'll be going into the correct grade for your for your education level next year and so what do you want and she chose to stay home and do homeschool because she wanted to try to get in fifth grade so i made her say it out loud i want to be in fifth grade so every time she'd fight me i said what do you want and yeah it's getting negative it's getting a little hard because there was a fight there and I, I did have to threaten her. It's like, this is it. This is it. You fight me now. I mean, we've been doing two hours on one math lesson, which it should have been a 15, 20-minute lesson. We've been doing two hours on it at that point. I said, this is it. If you fight me on this right now and you don't just do what you know to do and get what you want, you will have no more opportunities after this. You deserve better. I deserve better. I, we're not going to fight. If you choose to fight and not get what you want, then it's just going to go away and you're going to do every basic lesson in order. I'm not going to let you get ahead. And that's going to ruin the whole reason for you to stay home. And sure enough, that got through to her and she chose, she did the lesson. She did it well. Cause I, every time she gives me an answer, whether it's right or wrong, if she has me check it, I ask her why, because I want to know the reasoning. And she gave me the reasoning. I mean, it was like, bam, bam, bam. And here's the other thing. The whole time she didn't fight and she does this fake bullshit Disney girl, pretty idiot thing. Oh, my gosh, it's so hard. Oh, blah, blah. And I'm not mocking her. And this is exactly what I said to her because I did that to her. I said, I'm not mocking you. 
I can't do your voice exactly how I hear it, but you definitely put a tone in your voice that is, and that's horrible. And I hate that. But you have this ability to talk normal. And that's what I want. Well, sure enough, she'd been the whole time. She didn't fight me. And then she, she took the moment to talk normal. Cause I said, well, why, what's the answer on this? Or what's your thought process? And she went, Boom, 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 boom. I went, did you hear your voice? Did you did you hear that? You went from ah, to talking like this and talking normal. And that's right. And that I mean, I just right, I just blew it up. I just because it was so good. I wanted her to have that celebration. That's what I do for people. Cause I think that's what I've always wanted done for me. And it has been done to a point. I couldn't have gotten to where I am today without somebody saying, Oh man. What you did was amazing and having that confirmation and not just confirmation of, oh, thank you. That was nice. But having that over the top confirmation of you're a rock star, man. That was so amazing. You put you put cheese on bread. You made your own sandwich. That's a rock star move. That's awesome. People need that. And that's what I've always done for Douglas. And I think with his steadfastness for me, his 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 ability to take my shit. And roll with it. I, I know there had to be some really hard times. He's never—he's not a talker like me. He's—he's he's a great balance to who I was. He's a great friend to who I am now, and he helped me by all means help me get to be who I am today. He's—he's he's not a talker, so I, I've pulled some stories out of him, but I've never gotten a story from him of man. This was like the worst time in our lives together. And I would love to actually just sit down and have that conversation. I'd probably love to record that conversation and just hear it from his point of view. Uh, and maybe there wasn't that. Maybe, see, that's the thing. I feel life. I go through feeling life. He goes through thinking life. Both are experiences. Both are valid. His is safer. <laughs> his is way safer by all means. But I've been teaching him in different aspects of life to feel things. I said, on paper, it doesn't make sense to challenge this point, but that's not how life works. You've married a feeler. You are working with feelers. You are trying to do this project with a feeler, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's not always that way, but usually when he's talking to me about it, it's because logically things make sense this way. Kirk and Spock, man. Kirk and Spock. I was always after the ladies. He was always logical about it. Not that he didn't like ladies. He liked ladies. He's got some stories he could tell about ladies. Um. <laughs> I think actually that's one of the questions he may have left on Speakpipe. Hey, you remember that one time you were at band camp? Oh, wait. No, that's me. Um. <laughs> uh. But yeah, he, he was definitely the Spock to my Kirk in life. And he helped really keep that kite string. I've always used this metaphor of uh, I'm a kite. I can fly so high. I can do some crazy, awesome stuff. But if I don't have that anchor, I'm useless. And he handed off the reins of a full-time anchor to my wife when, when we got engaged. Uh, and he was almost, he was almost made of honor as well. I mean, not literally, you know, I thought to, to, to make him made of honor, but he was there for her and us planning the wedding as much as he was there for me. And, and gosh, he has a story of the day of I was, or the day before, rather I was in the hospital still. And he took her to 
do some last minute errands, I forget. And she's starting to get nervous and break down. And he's like, no, 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 that's cool. I got this. And he did for her what he did for me. And, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, man. He, he's Because she never had a friend like that. And most people I talk to have never had a fr- friend that, yeah, yeah, buddies you grew up with. And the TV joke is they, they still are that person that they were 20 years ago and you've changed. Well, no, we both grew up. We've both changed. I'd rather go with Webster, man. Fuck. I remember Webster when I was a kid. And one of the main episodes in Webster was his actual dad was dying, I think. And they he had, he was a football player who played Webster's adopted dad. And and uh, I don't remember if, in the, if his character had played football with this guy or if they'd just gone to college together, what the deal was. But they had been friends for so long, and they had grown and changed together that he was there for this kid's birth. And they, the guy, the, the dad, the actual dad of Webster was like, I want you – to be his his godfather or whatever. I think it was godfather. You know, but basically, you, he's going to go to you if something ever happens. And of course, in the premise of the story, something absolutely happens to both parents. I, I don't remember what, but the white father, you know, the white guy, the white football player, and his wife ended up getting Webster and raising him. And and it was, of course, this is eighties and late seventies, early eighties. So that was very very controversial race stuff that you're dealing with. And but that, I mean, that that show is always burned into my brain from that age. And I never even put it together until now, really, because it was a true long-term friendship. It was never a stereotype from what I remember. And here's the thing, too. Screw you guys for correcting me. That's not what life's about. You learn from what you learn from. And the message I got was about building strong male relationships to the point that you would hand over the most important thing in your life, which was his newborn child, to this person if need be. How many of you have that? You know, I, I, I don't know very many, very many people who do truly have that. And while I've definitely had friends in my life have come and gone, and I definitely have friends I still love that life has kept us Apart from each other, you know, I'll throw out a, a shout out. Johnny Boyd. John, man, he he has known me since we were 14 years old, before Douglas. And we've been in, in and out of each other's lives uh, constantly. And we're still good friends. And we'd do anything for each other if we could. But it was never that bond of, of you know, Douglas and, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Thomas Buck, who is a newer friend of mine through From the Helicarrier. I saw him make a post the other day with his all casting. If you can't handle me, I'm a worst. You can't. And it goes dot, dot, dot. That goes to regular case letters like, no, wait, actually, that's quite fair. I can be quite shit when I'm, when I'm at my worst. <laughs> and apparently it's a quote he stole from somebody else. But I saw him say that. It's like, you know, that's that's important because the two people. There's been multiple people who have seen me at my worst including obviously my family and they, they handled it the way they had to handle it. All their experiences, but Douglas and Aaron are the two people who have literally been there at my worst moments. They not only survived, you know, metaphorically speaking, I never, well, okay. I think I probably put Douglas in some actual physical danger, not because I was going to hurt him, but because we've done some crazy shit. Uh, but they survived emotionally with scars. But not only did they survive, they stayed. And they thrived. And they worked on this relationship. And they worked on me. 
you know, it, it's that situation when my wife and I, there's a moment, don't remember today, I'm not that dramatic, but I do remember the experience. It was like three in the morning. It was dark. We'd been fighting for hours and we'd burn out all of our emotions. And we just said, what now? You know, and I'm already feeling like I'm hurting her with every word that I'm saying. I'm sure she's feeling the same way. And she said it. She said, because I, I was at the point, I burned out so much emotions. I, I just could not even handle myself at that moment. I was like, you know what? If she leaves, I don't blame her. Uh, it's not the end of the world at this point. My, I'm done. I'm done with, with all this bullshit. Not, not the marriage, but all the bullshit inside of me. I'm done with the demons. I'm done with hurting her. I, I just, we burned. We, we, God, man, again, I learned a lot of shit from movies, a lot of stuff from TV shows. I don't remember the movie, but, but that whole, we have to burn it out kind of thing. We have to, you know, seal the wound with a hot blade or, or something. I'm picturing one that actually went inside of somebody and burned them to stop some bleeding or something. I don't remember what it was, but that, you know, that, that's that in medicine that works too, but it's, it's a true scientific basis that gets blown up for sure in the world of movies and TV, but burn it out. Cauterizing is a word. There are times when the only way to get something out is to literally go in and just destroy it totally. And I think at that moment, my last handhold on this is my damage, I'm going to keep it, got burned out that night. And I was, I was, I was just okay with life. I, I, I leveled up emotionally. I mean, I leveled up. I, I burned out. So I was empty, but I, I was on a new level of, of doing things. I said, if she leaves, in my mind, I'm like, if she leaves, I can't blame her. I'm hurting her emotionally. I'm hurting her, you know, spiritually. You know, I'm definitely not putting my hands on her. But although those other ways are worse almost. And she said, I, I don't want to leave you. It's not that I want to leave. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I said, I, I, I feel the same way. I, I understand. But but what now? What, what do we do? And she goes, I can't remember. Maybe I said this part. I said, I, I, I don't want this anymore. I don't want the fights. I don't want the hurt. But every time I think about a life without you, this life is still way better than any life without you. And either I said it or she said it, but we both agreed. And that's what it was. With Douglas. So to answer your question, asshole, <laughs> how do I justify it? There's no justification. The life without you that could have had was so much worse with so many worse ramifications than the life with you. And your sarcasm is, is definitely one of your endearing points. Um, I expect it. if I don't get it, sometimes I even call it out. But that the rest of your question answered it yourself. Your question was, how do you justify a friendship with somebody who answers everything? And he does. Everything you ask of me, I answer with sarcasm. But then we get to places you never thought we'd be. Well, fucker, that's, that's, that's life right there. That's the answer. Because we got to places we never thought we'd get to. And we got to places we never would have gotten to without each other to get there. That's, that's the answer. You know, I, I'm sitting here right now as a rock out of podcasting, fucking marveling at my life going, 
Technically, I have a job. I mean, I'm working for myself. I, I literally have to give them a what was that 1099 as a contractor. So I'm working for myself. I, I take the gigs that they ask me to. I don't have to take any gig at any point in time. I can say no. So I'm working. I guess I'm working for myself. I, I work every night doing shows, putting on a performance for people. Well, actually, I've lost a few gigs this week, but that's neither here nor there. But I work a lot doing this. And in the daytime, I get to 100% do exactly what I want to do. If I want to sit around and play on my Xbox, I sit around and play on my Xbox. If I want to play with the family, I play with the family. If I want to take a nap, I take a nap. If I want to work on podcasting, man, I work on podcasting. And now, Jesus effing Christ, I knew about Pokemon. I grew up, I've dabbled in some of the games. Never, ever grabbed me. Not even when my daughter started playing. Now I did spend some money and bought my own cards so I could play with her. I get the concept of the game, but it's never like, oh my God, I'm into this now. And yet, now I'm the showrunner for the largest fucking Pokemon Go podcast in the world because we get to places that we never thought possible. I'm partners. I'm not just working with, I'm not just doing a show with. I am full on partners with Brian Abbott, a guy who I followed for years, who the more I get to know him, the more he's... Um, H.W. H- H- Wells? Something W. No, no, P.T. Barnum. P.T. One of them said, uh, uh, I would never be a member of any club that would have me. He, the more I get to know more, he's kind of like that. He's like, yeah, I, I play in these arenas, but I'm not actually partners in this. I'm not actually, you know, it's like, oh, but we're partners. We're building this together. Oh, I'm showing him a new world of, of uh, unintentionally. But he had to test the waters more than once to be sure that I wasn't going to do something negative of going, well, I really would like to do this. Okay. And to the point that now uh, when we do something that he doesn't like, he'll just say, okay, you know, I shoot straight. Bam, 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 bam. Because he's learned that I can take that. I want that. I, pref- I don't like – this is why I love the sarcasm, Douglas. I don't like pussyfooting around. I don't like, well – and I will tolerate it. Don't get me wrong, because I understand that's how the world works. And the first time Ibit had to call anything out is when Klotz and I and him started breaking the panel, I think. And there was some subject that came on that me and Klotz just went at it the whole time. And we never tossed it to Ibit. He kind of felt like he didn't have much to say on the subject. He kind of felt like we cut him out. And we probably did. I don't remember the episode. Uh, I'm sure that we kind of did because we got lost in the moment. And he felt like it was a good show, but it's not the show he wanted to do. Not because, not just because we cut him out. I mean, he said some things, but because of how we handled the topic, he was like, okay, that, that's entertaining. And I get that. That's not a show I ever want to do. So if you guys want to do that, that's okay. I'll step back. And we went, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Let's see what we can talk about together. And let's, let, instead of saying what was wrong with the show, let's talk about what we want. And we all talked about what we wanted. And we all got on the same page pretty quickly. And it took out some of the stuff that he didn't like. He stepped up and started jumping in more. You know, there was a balance because we all said what we wanted and it all lined up. And that wasn't pussyfooting around. That's more like being tactful. Okay. (laughs) That's not something I've ever been accused of as being tactful typically. But he has learned since then that, oh, okay, I did it this way. And I flat out said, no, no, it's fine. if I am fully aware as an adult, we might come to a place that we want to do different things. That actually just happened in my life a couple months ago with Success Freaks is we just wanted to do different things. There was no wrong. We were doing things right. We just wanted to do it differently. That's fine. 
if that happens with Ibit, that's fine. And that's what I was telling him. I was like, I get that. But for the most part, I know if I just take off on my own and do my own thing, I know where it's going to land. And, and Mike is even my balance to this show. Mike has shown me that, you know, with that challenge of tell me what makes you happy and stay on that. And you can do whatever you want, but this is the challenge to stay on being happy. That was the kite string being pulled going, oh, I totally loved that show. I totally loved this show where Douglas asked me these questions. I told these fun stories. And now that I'm, even though I'm being serious, that's not the same as being negative. And I always have something to overcome and some, that's my, man, that's my wheelhouse is, is obstacles overcome and overcoming them and, and kind of being negative sometimes. My point is, I do bounce off of people, and I do want input, but I do trust myself. Now, this is a solo show. This will always be a solo show, but there still has to be a kite holder because if I just went off, it would just – I quit doing Chaos and Coffee because I had no kite holder, no anchor. Chaos and Coffee was literally 100% me, and I kept getting angrier and angrier and darker, and I hated that feeling. And at the, the last show that I did, I decided I'm not doing this anymore – I carried that anger all day because of a story, because of something that happened in that story and how I reacted to it. So I will always have anchors around me, whether I'm seemingly flying solo or not. And that's, that's what I learned with Douglas because before that I never had anybody close to me. Never. And it's because of James. And I've told him this story many times that I won't go into it now. We'll, we'll have to do it on another show. Cause I've talked enough today, but it's because of James getting past all my walls, all my defenses, and just loving, zero pain, other than his death, of course, the loss of his influence in my life. The first person who got past everything, saw who I was, I could show him who I was, I could say fuck shit and damn in front of him, and he didn't care, but that made me actually tone it down. I, 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 I showed him the ugly, and he didn't care, or at least he didn't show that he cared. He loved that changed everything, and that that made Douglas and I tighter because of it. Um, but God, dude, let's just let's just bring it right back down to the point. Right back down to the point with everything I've just said, with kite holders and anchors and ibbits and errands and mics and everything else in my life. How do I justify a friendship with somebody who answers with sarcasm, but then goes along, and we end up in places we never thought we'd be? Because I want to end up in places I never thought I'd be. And I say that in such a smile and such a hard, awesome energy that very rarely can I go in my life, I don't know how I ended up here. How do I, I, I'm in a place I didn't want to be. The story I told with my wife, the darkness, the fight, the burnout. No, I know exactly how I got there. Exactly how I got there. No, I never wanted to be there, but I did want to be there. She wanted to be there. Why? Because we wanted our relationship to work, so we had to get rid of all of our dark shit, all of our demons. Here we go. Ah, I did it. <laughs> I got the negative overcoming obstacle story in. Boom, Mike. I got it. <laughs> but that is, that, is, that is part of who I am. <laughs> that is, I, I do want that challenge. So for you listeners, I, I want that challenge of try to stay here. Can you answer this question in this way? Now, if you get crazy with it, I might say, no, I can't. Or, you know, I might mock you. I might do stupid shit, whatever. I might. But I do like the idea of try it. Try it a different way. Can you do it this way? And 
that whole trying to tell us what makes you happy that has stuck with me. I, I, I've tried to sound the happy stories here, even though man, I got the boom, I got the I got the negative overcoming obstacles dark story in. Uh, <laughs> so the point is. I always want to end up in places I never thought I could be because God damn, man, if I just lived my life the way I thought I could with the limited experience, the limited views of going, this is where I think I can go. It'd be such a shithole life. Such a sad story of, uh, it would be one of the stories in love actually ends with the, the girl. I can't remember the actress's name, the woman. She had a, a brother who had special needs. It wasn't like a, he was handicapped. He had emotional disturbances. I think he had anxiety. I'm not sure exactly what he had, but she always had to get on the phone and talk to him. And the end of her story was so fucking sad. And I was so mad at her. And I realized later why I was mad because you get mad about things that are in your life. It's because a lot of times I chose to play that victim. I chose the wrong path of life remember remember in the end of happiness i told you the secret of happiness is life goes on she didn't have that and at the end where she was getting the relationship she wanted she was trying to have that heart moment and he needed her to call and she chose to sit and talk to him which ultimately ended the relationship right then and there it's such a heartbreak. And that's that's the life I picture if I just run it the way I think I can in my life. So I always want to end up in places I never thought I could be because I don't have the full-on life experience to imagine every possibility that's out there. So, dude, that's how I justify it. And guess what? That's how you justify it, too, because you wouldn't have stuck with me. You wouldn't still come around. You wouldn't if you didn't want to be in places you never thought you'd be because while goddamn, I imagine for most of our experiences, while they end up in funny stories at the time, he's probably so uncomfortable, so on edge. My, I know my wife is, she loves doing EMG season two with me, uh, mashuppodcast.com quick plug there. We haven't launched season two yet, but there's 30 some odd episodes of season one there. She loves doing that. But the idea of like going to Dragon Con and doing it live, the idea of being in front of people, accepting awards, it freaks her the fuck out. It makes her very uncomfortable. But she goes along for that ride because it takes her to a place she never thought she could be, and she loves it. So I've hit that enough to say, be in places you never thought you'd be and enjoy the experience. Find the love. You can find us. I know we're coming. We've got, we've got, we've got. My good friend Lala Siegfried is doing some voiceover work for us. I've got to get the files to Mike. Uh, I think we can clean them up. If not, she'll do some more. But we've got her coming to do this last bit. But until then, go check me out, facebook.com forward slash podcasting. You can submit your questions there. You can talk to me directly right there. You can even message the page. Go to Twitter, at RockGotAPod. Hit me up there. I want your questions. I want to share these experiences. I want to share these stories. I would love to bounce off of your story. Hit me an email, bearcrawling at gmail.com. That's bear, as in B-E-A-R, and crawling with a G, you know, C-R-A-W-L-I-N-G, at gmail.com. Or you can go, as Mike said earlier, you can go to RockGotAPodcasting.com. There's SpeakPipe right there, and you can leave your messages just like Douglas did. And I would really, really, really love to hear from you. So until then, you know what? Get out there and make your own kick-ass stories because that's what my life has been all about. Here's a secret hashtag. You know, I want to start doing this. Here's a secret hashtag. 
the secret, if you listen to the end of the story, I want you to please Facebook or Twitter me or Instagram me. Hashtag be, uh, let's see how I'm going to phrase it. I want it short so it's easy. Hashtag sarcasm. That's it. That's easy. Hashtag sarcasm. Now, I'm sure I'll, I'll probably pull up a lot of other stuff. So it helps if you tag at Rock Gotta Podcasting on Facebook or at Rock Gotta Pod on Twitter. Uh, at Rock Gotta Podcasting on Instagram. Uh, but I think we have to be friends for you to tag that. But hashtag sarcasm. I'll see you on the next show. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.